scripture reading is taken from Job 36, 22 to 33. Let us hear the word of God. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Who has prescribed for him his way? Or who can say, you have done wrong? Remember to extol his work, of, of which men have sung. All mankind has looked on it. Man beholds it from afar. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. For he draws up the waters, for he draws up the drops of water, they distill his mist in rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds, the thunderings of his pavilion? Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roofs of the sea. For by these he judges peoples. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike the mark. It, its crushing declares his presence. The cattle also declares that he rises. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we pray and thank you for bringing us here again. We pray that as we listen to your word through Pastor Pete, you help us to hear what you are telling us and remember that your will be done, not ours, and guide us safe through this week and bring us back safely next week. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Let's return to the book of Esther, part two. You can find that just a little bit before the book of Job on page 413 in your uh, pew Bible. We started last week. It's a story of a Jewish girl who became the queen of Persia and with a little help from her uncle, Mordecai, saved her people from a plot to destroy them. For every generation of Jews, the book of Esther has answered a very important question. Why are we still here? Last Sunday, we looked at chapters 1 through 4, and this morning we'll wrap up looking at chapters 5 to 10. The themes of character and courage versus accommodating or even capitulating to our culture came out last week, as well as a central theme throughout the story that God works in the circumstances of people's lives to bring about his purposes. There are no coincidences in the book of Esther. And if you're following along and taking notes, you'll note uh, I've included a list of all of the uh, coincidences that happen throughout from chapter 1 through 10, because there's too much to cover. But there are no coincidences, coincidences excuse me, in the book of Esther. And I can tell you as, as your pastor, as your friend, there are none in life. Now, Linda just read Job chapter 36, verses 22 to 33, which doesn't relate directly to Esther's story, but what it does, it, it speaks to the unsearchable ways of God and the way in which God's sovereignty is, his sovereignty is partially revealed in his governing over the storms. I say partially revealed. We can't see the whole picture. We don't know how the storms of life will ultimately work out for our good and God's glory. But what we can do is choose to live by faith 
And living by faith takes courage. They all are related. There are no signs or wonders in Esther. No one even mentions God. Yet the the way the story is told makes it clear that even when God is most hidden, most anonymous, he's still working to protect and deliver his chosen people, and his fingerprints are all over the story. Although the story shows the outcome, the outcome is a divine gift rather than a human achievement, Esther and Mordecai do show great initiative and courage. And their actions are obviously significant from beginning to end. As are the absurd actions of King Ahasuerus, we've been referring to him as the common name uh, Xerxes, as are the actions of, of Haman, their evil actions are obviously significantly impacting what happens in the lives of these people in the 4th century B.C. Scripture teaches us that the heart is the control center of life. A, a person's life is a reflection of what's happening in their heart. Proverbs 4, verse 23 puts it this way, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And Jesus' words are recorded in Mark chapter 7, verse 20 to 22, where he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. From within, out of, a man, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these are what come out, bubble out of a man's heart. And certainly we see that in the case of Xerxes and Haman. Now if you last, uh, missed last week, here's a quick review of chapter 1 through 4. It's the 4th century B.C. in the kingdom of Persia in the capital city of Susa. There's an evil king named Xerxes. He gets rid of his old wife. He has a beauty pageant, gets a new wife and happens to be Jewish, and she's hiding that fact. Her uncle works for the government, and he's hiding that fact even though he uh, foils a plot to assassinate the king, yada, yada, yada. She has to go in to see the king to rescue her people. Got it? Okay. We pick up the story in chapter 4, verse 14. Mordecai is saying, Esther, you are the only one. You have to go into the king's inner chambers, his courts, even though it's against the law, even though you might be put to death, and you must rescue our people. And these famous words, verse 14, he says, And who knows but that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. His words spark the flame of courageous faith in Esther that ultimately allows for the survival of all the Jewish people in Susa and the kingdom of Persia. She hears these words, and she's transformed by them. From just a a pretty gal into a decisive woman of faith, proud of her Jewish heritage, willing to risk her life for her people. And then there's the profile and courage, sort of what's holding together both weeks, these words that she speaks in verse 16. I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She finally knows what she's living for, and she's willing to die for it. That's the profile and courage. 
And so we pick up the story again where Esther has now instructed Mordecai to tell all of the people, all of the Jewish people in the city to gather together to pray for three days and to fast for three days. And she gathers with, with her closest friends and they also pray for three days and fast for three days. Think about this for just a moment. You don't look your best having not eaten any food for three days. That might work going on the red carpet in Hollywood then you need a lot of makeup. It, it's not good. It's not pretty. And this king only cares about Esther's looks. So what is he going to do when she breaks the rules and goes in? Well, that's what she does. She goes in to the inner courts. The, the, the story builds this great anticipation and excitement. What's going to happen as she waits for the king in defiance of the law? Life or death hang in the balance. The king sees her. Just, a, just picture in your mind, what would that look like? She's, she's frozen. She probably can't breathe. She turns and looks to him. What's he going to do? Well, he turns and he looks, and slowly he raises his golden scepter, which, which means whew, she's allowed to come and speak to him. She survived for now. And we pick up the, passage, the story in Esther chapter 5, verse 3, if you're following along. The king asks a question. He says, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. Okay, now it's going to get really interesting. Esther knows this guy. She knows him very, very well. She knows he's not literally offering her half his kingdom. He, he's just mildly interested in what she might have to say. But that is all the wiggle room she needs. Now, if she were to say... Sure, I'll take half your kingdom. How do you think the king would respond? Are you crazy? He'd throw her out. Get out of here. And, and how would he respond if, if she were to say, Hammond is plotting to kill my people. Stop him. Only you can stop him, king. And, oh, and by the way, I've been living a lie. I actually am Jewish. How do you think he'd respond? Probably would freak out. Instead, she uses all the skills she's learned in the royal courts. And look at what she says. She says, King, will you please come to my party? Now, let's stop right there. Is she being courageous here? Is she accommodating the culture? Is she capitulating? Shouldn't she just be like Mordecai and just put her foot down and tell him the absolute truth? She's being courageous and a little crafty. Esther has street smarts. She has courage and cunning. She says, please come to my party and bring your right-hand man, Haman, along as well. So the king and Haman went to the party that Esther prepared. They have dinner, and while they're having uh, drinks after dinner, having a great time, the king asks her again in, in verse 6, says, okay, now, what is your request? up to half my kingdom. Look at verse 7. Esther replied, My wish and my request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. What is she doing? She's kind of working him, isn't she? Why don't she... Please come back to another party, and then 
I'll tell you my, my total request. She's setting him up. Now, it's getting very interesting. How is this going to play out? Uh, the, the author of the story that recounts all that happens holds us in suspense, and there's a little bit of a, a side story. Here, look at verses 9 through 13 of, uh, of chapter 5. We have, we have something else to deal with. Another chapter is going on. And I'll read this to you. Follow along, please. Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai at the king's gate, see Mordecai's still in the picture, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Remember, he has a plan to destroy not only Mordecai, but all of his people. Haman's coming out of this great party, and then he sees his mortal enemy. And he went and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches and the numbers of his sons and all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above all the officials and the servants of the king. He's boasting here just a little bit. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast that she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all of his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman. And he had the gallows made. Haman saying, hmm, everything's going right except for this, this one, per, one person in the world is ruining his, his life's party. And so his wife and his friends say, we know what you should do. Build a 75-foot-high gallow scaffold and have Mordecai hang by it in the morning. And Mordecai is in mortal danger all over again, isn't he? Then we come to chapter 6. That same night, this is the night before the party, the night in between, while the scaffolding is being built, that same night, the king has insomnia. He can't sleep. He's tossing and turning all night. So he asks his servants to read him a bedtime story. And what do you suppose the king, such a proud king, would have to be read to him late at night as a bedtime story? It's called the Chronicles of the King. And what are the Chronicles of the King about? It's about all the great and glorious things the king Xerxes had ever done, of course. I'll just make him fall right to sleep. And so they choose a story about a servant named Mordecai who foiled an assassination plot. And the king says, Mordecai, Mordecai, that name sounds very familiar. Did I ever reward Mordecai for saving my life? And the servants say, they look through the notes, and, no, king, you, you never knew about it. He never came forward to, to receive a reward. The next morning, Haman shows up. Now, he doesn't know that the king has had Insomnia, he doesn't know about the late night storytelling. Haman walks in and the king asks him a question. He says, Haman, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? What do you think Haman's thinking right now? He's talking about me. What do I think the king should do to honor 
Um, let's see. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 7 and 9. Haman said to the king, Well, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. Pretty good right on the spot to come up with such a great present for himself. And the king says, hey, you know what? That is a great idea, Haman. The man that I delight to honor is Mordecai. And I want you to be the noble official who puts the robe on him and walks him through the cities, calling out to all the people about how wonderful he is. Talk about your reversal of fortune. It's pretty much all downhill from that point on for poor Haman. He's, he's utterly humiliated, but it gets worse. Esther holds her second banquet that night, and she then tells the king her story, how she and her uncle, and yes, her people, are going to be destroyed. And the king is so moved by her story, he says, who is responsible for this? And she says, that wicked Haman is responsible. And Haman ends up being hanged on the very gallows he had built for Mordecai. And so the king needs a new chief of staff. And since the king uh, has a hard time making decisions and Esther's on a roll, he says, sweetheart, who, who would you recommend be my chief of staff? And whose name does, does Esther put forward as a nomination? Mordecai. So Esther sets Mordecai over the house of Haman, and Mordecai receives all of Haman's old possessions and his wealth and his position of power. Then Esther goes back to the king, reminds him of the king-approved edict that would spell the, the end to her people, and then look at chapter 8, verse 8. I love this. The king says to Esther, you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So now... Esther is writing legislation for the whole kingdom. And the Jewish people were so favored, it says in chapter 8, verse 17, that there were celebrations in the street. And people were so in awe of what was happening, so in awe of this, this, this people that was following this God, this creator God. It says that people from many nationalities put their faith and trust in Yahweh. Could Mordecai have predicted all of this when Esther was swept up into Xerxes' harem? Could Esther have even dreamed about this position of power? No. No, no, but God was present and working through free will human choices, good and bad, noble and terrible. God was working through all of it for his providential plans to unfold. There is a will that will not be turned, but it is not the will of kings. How is it that of all the women in the empire, a Jewish girl named Esther is the one who becomes queen? 
Was it an accident that all the people in Susa, of all the people in Susa, Mordecai is the one who saved the king from an assassination attempt? Was it just a fluke that the king had insomnia on the very night that Haman had built the gallows for Mordecai? Was it dumb luck that of all the stories, the one read to the king was the one about Mordecai saving his life? Was it only a twist of fate that Haman, the scheming murderer, becomes the victim of his own schemes? Or just plain dumb luck that Mordecai's intended victim becomes his replacement? How did the noose intended for Mordecai end up around Haman's neck? Was it a fluke that the king's ring given to Haman ends up on Mordecai's finger? How is it that the people who mark the Jews for destruction are instead themselves destroyed in self-defense? The writer wants us to understand that even in unseen, unlikely ways, God is present. God is at work. We need to hear this this day. Our nation needs to hear this. And God is at work in your life to bring about his purposes on this earth. Even when all the odds are stacked against you. I'm going to invite the praise team to come up and get set up here, but I just want to conclude with three main points for this morning's message. Number one, there are no coincidences. Number two, you have been brought to the place and the circumstances that you are in for a reason. Where sometimes you have very clear choices between right and wrong, and sometimes it's not so clear. We need to trust in the Lord and follow Christ's example. And three, God never teaches you something about, teaches you something without having an appointed time when you will be put to the test. This is really the the key lesson, so I'll say it again. God never teaches you something without having an appointed time when you will be put to the test. Have you learned that life lesson? If you have, you're blessed. If you haven't, there's lessons mixing around in your mind about choices that God's calling you to. Know that it will be put to the test. But Esther was chosen for her looks. Christ chose us for his glory. Esther was called by Mordecai, but we are called by the Holy Spirit. Esther came to a proud and pompous king. We come to our Father in heaven who is good and holy and faithful. She had a law against her, but we have been freed from man-made laws and called by promise. Let us call upon the Lord, for he is worthy to be praised. Let's stand together and sing. 2002, I will call upon the Lord.